What up, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Simone, back at it with another episode of the Real Talk with Simone podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I have a new episode with featured guest, Paula T. Edgar. She has such an inspirational story. You don't want to miss it. Tune in. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a featured guest on my podcast. You know, we just get to know a little bit about you. So you are the founder and principal of PGE LLC firm, which helps with speaking, coaching, and consulting. What made you get into that line of work? So my consultancy, correct, is um, is a speaking, coaching, and consulting firm, which I created after having worked, um, you know, for a while with other organizations, including schools and nonprofits and government agencies. Um, and having been asked frequently to speak uh, either on panels or as keynote or to, pre- to present workshops um, and, and or coach folks um, individually outside of my work capacity. And I realized that there was a need there, particularly a need for um, a woman of color to be in that space. Um, I found mm-hmm. that there were a lot of men and uh, white men and white women who were doing coaching, consulting, and speaking um, but not as many black women and not, uh, not as many black women attorneys. And so I decided three years ago this October to launch full-time um, doing this work, and I love it because I have the opportunity to set my own agenda, decide what clients I'm going to have, um, and really be impactful without having an umbrella of a, quote, job over me that I can give people real feedback without – um, the concern of having to represent another entity. So um, yeah. it was freedom, it was, it was um, supply and demand, and it was also my want to be impactful uh, on individual and organizational professional development. Right. And you talk about how well you are at speaking. Was that always something natural to you, or did you have to develop some skills and work on that? Because um, I feel like speaking is really um, it's scary at first, right? So, yes, so I think that there, I am a natural-born extra extrovert, and so mm-hmm. I've always been outgoing and, I, and, I, and engaging. Um, but the speaking thing, it, it is a, a talent that some people have, but it's always something that can be worked on and grown, even if you don't sort of have it innately. And so I coach people on how to speak and interact and engage. But myself, I also practice. Before I do presentations, I practice my, um, you know, cadence and what my bullet points are. So any any skill that you want to have or enhance, you should be practicing and making better. Um, but given the relation and given why you contacted me in the first place, I'll tell you a story. Um, the first time I won an award um, for speaking was my freshman year at Deerfield Academy, which was the school I attended via a better chance. Um, I won uh, um, an award called the Freshman Declamation, where the whole class had to perform a piece in front of the whole class, and I I won. And so I think that really was um, my um, starting point in terms of knowing that I could be on the stage and actually, you know, win things and and, and be applauded for it, and and I liked it. I liked the feeling. I still do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, and you mentioned that you went to Deerfield Academy. Um, and I have some listeners who go to prep schools and boarding schools. So could you talk about a little bit about your experience, whatever you remember, what's memorable, what's on your mind when you think about attending Deerfield? Absolutely. I um was I'm from East New York, Brooklyn, which is um one of the um most dangerous precincts in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. um 
and I was living there in, in a gifted and talented program in junior high school when one day a delegation from Deerfield showed up at our school wanting to tell us about boarding school. And the reason why they ended up being there was because there was a fire at the school they had intended to go to. So it really was mm-hmm. a little bit of a stroke of luck that mm-hmm. they came. They had, this was back when they had video cassettes. <laughs> they <laughs> came to the school and they gave me a cassette to take home. And I remember taking it home to my parents and saying, I want to go here. I want to do this. Um, and they said, you know, we'll make this work. And, um, you know, with the help of A Better Chance and with the help of the wonderful people at Deerfield, um, I, you know, went to the school, you know, in Massachusetts. I think it was one of, at the time I got there, 50 students of color out of 600 or 700, so not a lot of us. Um, and, uh, and school had just become um, co-ed again two years before I got there. <clears throat> so there was a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion issues in terms of, like, just gender-wise, being there as a woman, they were not, the, the full class of folks there hadn't been, were not used to that yet. And then also, you know, here I am, a black girl from Brooklyn. Um, but I was lucky that my parents taught me to be confident and to feel like I own a space, even when I didn't necessarily feel that way inside. And so what I want to talk to your readers about, or your listeners about, I should say, is about knowing that imposter syndrome is a thing, right? So you may have imposter syndrome all the way through your career, always kind of feeling that you're not supposed to be in this space. But I push back and say that, of course, you're supposed to be in a space, and that actually you're adding value to any space that you're in because whoever you are, there's something about you that's special, and then you should be able to be a part of, um, of the story, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to Deerfield, and I found my space. I, I, I um, was a quick um, mentee of the, um, the spouse of our, um, our head of school at that time. She was a white woman. You know, she, you know, really sort of took me under her arms and said, you know, let me help you in this. And a lot of other people did that. And of course, there was only a, a couple of um, staff and, and administrators of color, um, so I didn't really have that as a thing. So another lesson I would say is don't just think that because somebody looks like you or, or they doesn't look like you or isn't like you that they can't be helpful to you. Um, mm-hmm. Many of my mentors, many of my sponsors have not been black and have not been women. And so... Um, because I was open to <clears throat> that experience, I enabled, I, I found a new resource that I could tap into. And because most boarding schools, most private schools have that as a structure, we really, if you want to be successful, have to, um, to tap into spaces that we maybe not, or have not been as comfortable in prior to that. And I encourage folks to do that. The same way we want people to accept and, and, and embrace us, we have to do it the same way, and, and it can be beneficial on both sides. Um, yeah. But that being said, uh, it was challenging at times just being away from my home, um, but I loved it. I, you know, I think I, I went on so many different vacations. I would go home with folks. I would, you know, kind of want to see the world, and, and I was mm-hmm. able to do that um, through my experience at Deerfield. And I loved it mm-hmm. so much, and I'm back on the board. I'm on the board of, Deer, of Deerfield now because I think it's mm-hmm. so important for voices um, you know, to have of color to have impact and to be able to shape the space now. And, and I will, I'm very proud to say that, Deerfield is a much different place than I am than I was when I was there. Much more inclusive and understanding of a lot of different um, diversity, and so I'm happy mm-hmm. to be on the alumni board and to mm-hmm. be able to foster some of the changes that are going on there. 
Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you're still connected with Deerfield Academy by being, you know, on the board. What are some future goals and endeavors that you're looking forward to, not specifically just to Deerfield Academy, but, you know, different boarding schools and private schools? What are you looking forward to or what do you think that we need to improve for students of color? What what I um have made sort of my life mission and what I would like everyone else to consider is that if we continue to navigate in spaces where we are exclusive of whole groups of people, we not only harm ourselves, but we harm our future. And, and so my hope is that we as individuals who may have been the excluded are really rushing forward confidently in spaces because I think just that shift in trajectory will make people understand that we are not to be silent and we have to be um, acknowledged. But flipping it is also the understanding from institutions that have not been accepting is that it, it is better. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to encourage change that is detrimental. This is change that does help. When people can feel that they are included and they can bring their full selves into a space, everything feels better. Um, mm-hmm. And and so my hope is, and what I want to do as I continue to go forward, is to take on more roles where I can be a change agent, where I can mm-hmm. open eyes and, um, and advance progress around diversity. And that might mean me standing there and the change and difference is that I'm a woman, right, or mm-hmm. it's that I'm black, or it's both of those things, or it's that I'm from New York. Whatever I'm bringing to space, I want to open up eyes to say, hey, there's other folks like me, there's people who are different than me that we should be opening up to or at least getting those perspectives as we move forward and make decisions that are going to affect a lot of people. Mm, right, yeah. Uh, you know, and I just graduated last year from boarding school, so it's still fresh in my mind, those experiences. So that's mm-hmm. interesting to hear your perspective as well. Mm-hmm. What I would and, say to recent alumni, and sorry to interrupt you, but I would say to recent alumni is mm-hmm. this. Everyone I know who's graduated from any institution has good things that they liked about it and things that were challenging. And leadership means that you take the things that are challenging and you take that as your sort of call to action and see what you can do differently. What I don't love is people who raise their hand to complain but don't have that same hand up to volunteer. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So that Mm -hmm. if you know that a space that you've been in was not inclusive to you, but there are going to be other people who are going to keep going in that space, you can be different. You can say, how can I be involved? How can I give Mm -hmm. feedback to make sure that this doesn't continue to happen? Rather than, you know, like clocking out, I say jump in with both feet. Like, listen, I want to be on this board. I want to be in this committee. I want to change it versus Mm -hmm. I want to complain about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that – uh, when I went to Wilson Academy, a lot of students of color were thinking about, and it was on our minds a lot as well, and just not complaining and continuing to talk to administration about the same issues, but trying to be proactive um, about it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you also practice in the um, Law Enforcement Division of New York City Commission on Human Rights. So can you tell me a little bit about what made you want to get into human rights and the law field? What inspired you? Has that always been something that you wanted to do during your childhood, or is that something that um, just came to your mind after high school or something like that? So um, I, uh, my story is a, an interesting one in that the reason why I went to law school 
was because my mother, Joan Griffith, was killed in September 11th. She was in the World Trade Center. And oh, when that happened, I, my whole life sort of shifted. I had not been really focused, even after having gone to boarding school, I really wasn't focused as to what I wanted to do post. I was, I was kind of just out, hanging out. <laughs> I didn't really have a focus. And, and when my mother passed away, I realized a couple things. The first thing is that life is too short. Life is too short to, to kind of hang out for long periods of time, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all for hanging out for a little bit of time and, and figuring out what your life is going to be, but, but you have to decide what your impact is going to be or at least be working towards something. And so the lawyers who my family worked with when um, my mother was killed <clears throat> were instrumental in, um, in our lives, and they encouraged and supported um, me thinking about a law school as a path. And the reason why I thought about it was that I thought, look, these people have helped us. I want to help mm-hmm. people too. But I didn't know what that, mean, that meant. Like, I didn't see myself in court, you know, like, you know, standing in front of a jury box and the pointy fingers, although you know, people always say, why didn't you become a litigator because you like to speak? I just knew I wanted to help people. That was the only reason I was like, okay, law school sounds like a good thing to do. And so because of not having that sort of direct focus, when I was in law school, I did it in the most non-traditional way I think you can. Um, A, I went to school, I went to City University uh, of New York School of Law, CUNY, uh, which Mm -hmm. was fabulous, but I really chose it because of not what was ranked and not what, you know, what kind of jobs you can get. I chose it because of two things. One was it was the cheapest school to attend, right, because mm-hmm. it was a city school, and because the people when I went there to visit were so, it was like, it felt like a family. It didn't feel like the other schools that I had visited that you could kind of feel the tension of, of competition. <laughs> it felt very mm-hmm. much like people wanted to help you when I got there. I, um, one of the women who did a, a tour for me and my husband and my father when I went there she was studying for the bar and stopped studying for the bar in order to walk us around. And I thought that that, that speaks to who this school is and what this school is because you would be willing right. to take that time out when you have to, you know, do this test. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went there and um, I got married my first year during midterms. <laughs> um, they say your first year you're not supposed to do anything but study. <clears throat> I didn't do that. I, I, got, I got married. My second mm-hmm. year of law school I had a baby. I had my daughter, mm-hmm. and then my third year of law school, we bought a house. So I literally did everything you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> I didn't um, have the, the summer job that I thought I was going to have that first summer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to work at a firm. Uh, I worked at, in housing court and volunteered there, and I loved my judge, who was fam- fantastic. Um, and I also um, did some writing with a, um, with a professor, then my second mm-hmm. summer, because I was pregnant, I didn't do anything but hang out. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the, you know, when I graduated, I studied for the bar, but I didn't have a job lined up. Um, but what I did was something that I encourage every student to do and every adult to do, actually. If you're trying to get in something or figure out um, your trajectory or your time and space in this place, volunteer. Mm-hmm. Give your skill set for free because it always, always, always turns back around to something trust me. And so I volunteered working for OATH, which is um, the Office of Administrative Trials and Hearings here in the city. It's a city agency that uh, essentially adjudicates um, city agency um, and city agency employee stuff. 
So like labor employment, labor stuff and what have you. Anyway, so I volunteered there and I did a good job. And so the person who was the um, chief judge there said, listen, once we know about if you pass the bar or not, I will walk you into any office in the city that you want me to walk you into and say you should hire her. And so um, I was like, look, okay, fine. I passed the bar, thank God. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, the Commission of Human Rights was in the same building we were in. And I thought it seemed like very interesting work. Like, you know, human rights has such a vast um, description, um, and it means different things in different places. Right? You can talk about human rights internationally, and that means one thing. You talk about human rights um, locally, it means another thing. And it kind of depends on the trajectory you're coming from, what you consider human rights. But New York mm-hmm. City has one of the most advanced human rights laws. It covers pretty much everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that would be wonderful to be able to defend and to support people who have been discriminated against under these laws as my first job. Um, what I didn't think about was the fact that um, I, I didn't tap into the lawyering piece of this all. I wanted to help, right? Remember I told mm. you that. And so mm-hmm. when I was working the job and practicing, quote-unquote, what, you know, how I you know, was thought I was supposed to be doing as a lawyer, it just didn't feel, it didn't resonate, it didn't feel right for me. And so another, you know, tip I will tell you that your readers or your, so your listeners should be thinking about is that if your whole body, if your literal whole sense of being is not comfortable in a situation, you've got to find a way to get out. Mm-hmm. So many people live life in this constant state of discomfort and malaise and think that, that should, that's, their, that's their only option. And it's not. It's scary, though, to figure out what else you're going to do. But um, life, again, is too short for you to be miserable and that's not what you're here for, you know, regardless of what your religion, regardless of what your trajectory is. I know that, that all of us are not here to be miserable. <laughs> We're here to right. have a little bit of fun and have some impact and whatever else, and maybe some misery is included in that, but mm-hmm. it's not, it should not be your state of being, period. And mm-hmm. so um, six months in, I said to my husband, I'm going to quit tomorrow. <laughs> and <laughs> and he was like, wait, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but what I had been doing was volunteering from another, for another organization. And during that volunteering in my off time, I was, you know, working with an organization called PALS, Practicing Attorneys for Law Students, and they didn't have an executive director and they didn't have um, an admin or anybody to run the organization. They were, they were board run. And so I spoke to the chair and I said, look, I'm quitting my job. I'll, I can volunteer for, for you full-time until I figure out what I'm going to do next. And she said, or we can pay you to consult <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and until you find a new job. And I was like, huh, pay, consult, hmm. Um, and so I did mm-hmm. that, and I was making all, double what I was making for the city consulting. Wow. So you see, sometimes you jump, and it's scary, but the landing is so soft sometimes. <laughs> and that's right. sometimes, sometimes it's very hard, but, you know, you've got to take that risk. And so I ended up doing that as one of my favorite jobs where I met so many wonderful students. I became the executive director of PALS and was able to stay adjacent to the law while not practicing it, and that's always what I've wanted to do. I love lawyers. Mm-hmm. Lawyers are change agents. We are leaders. We are the folks who are the engineers of our society. And so being able to help and promote and, and help people become black lawyers has been one of the greatest um, privileges that I've had in my life. So Yes. Absolutely. And you talk about your experience with volunteering and stuff like that. Um, I, I personally, me, I'm interested in 
law as well. I've always wanted to be a lawyer, but now this journalism field is is interesting um, me as well. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about both. Um, what can, from your experience, what can some people do in undergraduate to get involved? Because I think sometimes a lot of people think that, oh, you have to be in law school to get involved. What can some undergrad students do to also be involved as well? Well, that is a great question, and I'm glad you asked it, and the answer is a lot. What I'll say to you is that most professionals you meet are overworked and always need help with something. And mm-hmm. so most of my mentees and the people who um, I have sort of helped get to over the finish line have come to me and said, how can I help? That was the first interaction that we've ever had. And then I say, you, you give to me, and I give and give and give to you. And so, mm-hmm. for example, the woman who is our social media intern for the bar um, who's been it for the last two semesters, she essentially, I put a post on Facebook saying I needed somebody to do social media for our bar association. Her mother saw it, told her about the, the opportunity. She reached out. <clears throat> I had lunch with her, and then she became the, the person who did it. She has kicked ass in the role. She's a freshman in college. So she mm-hmm. has no, you know, like sort of skill set in that sense in terms of being able to do it. But I taught her. Now she knows, now she can put that on her resume, and it can foster future relationships. So in the role, I then got her another internship because I said, I want to make sure that you're on your way to whatever it is because that's what happens. When you help people, they help you. And you shouldn't be doing it because you want help. You should be doing it because you want to help yourself, right? But but it always ends up that if you, you volunteer and you do a good job, you get, you're visible, and then people are able to see the work that you can do and, and help. So I would say to anyone who's interested in becoming an attorney and wants to be involved in undergrad, A, you should be looking at, um, you know, scholarship and internship opportunities that are out there for undergrads, and there are some. But if you don't see any or you're not, you know, you're not, you're not eligible for some of the ones that are out there, reach out to your local bar association. If you're a student of color, reach out to your local minority bar association and say, how can I help? Can I volunteer to do check-in at one of your events? You know, can I do your social media? Can I help write something? Can I do some research? All of those things will be well-received because everybody always needs help. Right. Um, you know, so that's what I would suggest in terms of getting in your foot in the door because it really is then, it's who you know, right? And so you know me. I'm going to help you, right? If you, as long as you're yes. doing that minimum of good work and then I can align my brand with yours without feeling nervous and scared about you doing something crazy, then of course yes. you, will, you, know, you will be helped and fostered by, by interacting. And I think people should start to put yourself right. out there. Right. And you also talk about the bar because you also serve as the president of the Metropolitan Black Bar Association, and so you're working on diversity. Um, What made you get into that work, and where do you see the trajectory of diversity and inclusion in the field of law and government? So, yes, I am the president of the Metropolitan Black Bar Association, which is the largest black bar in New York State. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I I got into this role um, because one of my mentors and sponsors said, I think that you would make a great leader of the organization. And before that, I hadn't really thought about taking that step, and which is why it's so important, like I was saying before, to have folks who you can trust and who will give you good feedback and who will support you in, in, in giving you feedback about things that you should be doing and that things you may not doing right, be doing right. And so... Um, you know, once that, was, that seed was planted in my head, 
I take, you know, the baton and, and start running. And so I volunteer for the organization. Um, you know, I, I interacted with a lot of the folks. And then when it came time for, um, for me to be president or wanting to be president, there wasn't an issue in terms of whether I was qualified or whether I was going to put my all into this role. And I'm proud to say that in the first year, I have a two-year term as president. In our first yeah. year, we've, you know, doubled our membership We've had much more programs than we had in the past. We've, we just won Affiliate Chapter of the Year for the National Bar Association, which is our large black bar. And so I'm proud of the work that we're doing, and I think that's important. Your question about why I decided to get into diversity and inclusion, um, I, it's self-serving, right? Like if the world is better for people of color, then it's better for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that those of us who have been chosen to lead and who choose to lead well, should be doing that in an impactful way and trying to make change. And I have two children. Uh, the more that I make the world better now, it will benefit them directly. And I want to mm-hmm. make sure that it benefits not just them, but anybody else. Like, um, this is an easy win. Like, we can, if we all start turning towards making the place world better in terms of diversity and inclusion, it will be better. Um, mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that discomfort is not things that people choose. No one wants to be uncomfortable, right? And so in order for change to happen, people have to shift and discomfort has to happen. And that's where you bump up against, you know, biases and wanting to have the status quo. Um, But, again, um, I'm a rabble rouser. I like to shake things up so that things Mm -hmm. can change. And we should all be that way. We need to be agitators. Everybody's too comfortable. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. to your point about where I see the trajectory, I think – Diversity and inclusion in terms of numbers of, of attorneys of color and women in the law has been very stagnant for a long time. And the reason that's mm. the case is because um, the people who say they care are not showing it and not, mm. doing, not being strategic and impactful in doing this. So I'm thinking about how the legal profession works. So we have law firms who generally have – we have corporations who have the money to give business to law firms, and law firms have the money to give to – you know, nonprofits, nonprofits could partner with students that gives it like a trickle down, right? And so the corporations and the law firms have to be the places where the shift happens first so that it can trickle down um, and, and in partnership with the schools. So you'll have law schools that will accept students of color and women and LGBT um, students and bring them in the door but not have support structures for them in order to succeed. And so mm-hmm. in legal profession, there's a high attrition rate of law students of color from the first to the second year of law school because there's not a lot of support there. And so when I tell people you want to be impactful, how about this? You give out scholarships because any place where you need to have where there's money is a barrier. And also mm-hmm. you, you know, volunteer with your whole body, right? So not, not a call, not an email, but actually show up and show mm-hmm. that you care because that's what makes the change when you're actually physically and monetarily and spiritually invested and involved that's when change happens. And so um, I, don't, I think that, the, that it will, the field will start to shift when corporations start to demand that the clients or the, the, the law firms that they engage really and truly care and support their, their attorneys of color, their women and their LGBT and, mm-hmm. uh, and people with disabilities and anybody, any diverse folk entity within the, their space truly show this. And by doing this and saying, if you don't do this, we're not going to give you business, that will shift the change. So I don't care why you're changing. I don't need you to be a nice, good person. I need you to just do it. Because mm-hmm. in the end, the momentum that occurs when you do it 
is much louder than any momentum you might have because you don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right? So that's what I want. I want to, to, to say it and do it. Like, you know, we say in Brooklyn, show and prove. Right. So that. Well, I, I'm very hopeful that it changes. I did not know that uh, women and, and people of color in the law field, the rates were being stagnant. So that's very interesting to hear and know, and know about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and just for, you know, you have such an amazing story, and I know you have to go. So where can people, like, look for you? I know that I looked at your website. So can you just say where people can look for you and follow your journey and get inspired by your story? Absolutely, and thank you for asking. So anyone who wants to connect with me can connect with me on my website at paulaedgar.com. But you can also follow me on pretty much every single social media. So on Twitter, I'm at Paula Edgar. On Instagram, I'm the Paula Edgar. On Snapchat, I'm the Paula Edgar. Um, mm-hmm. I have a Facebook fan page. It's Paula Edgar fan page on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn at Paula yep. Edgar. And so you know, please do connect with me and, and tell me you heard about or connected with me because of the podcast so we can know that the that the, the, the train of information is working the way we want it to. So, yeah. Yes, yes. I will definitely be posting that all over my social media as well and spreading the word to my friends because I know a lot of friends who want to be in law but also do something impactful for their communities, and, and your journey seems exactly what they're trying to do. Wonderful. Make sure you tag me. <laughs> yes, I will. Thank you so much, Paula. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in for that episode of The Real Talk with Simone. I hope her story was moving and touching. Just a quick update. Unfortunately, I won't be able to continue the podcast throughout the year. You know, girl, got to go get her degree. I got to go back to college. I have two jobs on my plate right now. So I'm really just trying to keep up with my academics and my work. However, if you like what you hear, you want to continue to hear me with my commentary or some of my interviews, I will be back on my school's radio that's wrgw district radio you can find us online just searching up that radio station we are also on iheart radio i host a radio show with my friend simone it's called the root by simone squared every saturday 1 to 2 p.m iheart radio check us out and i just wanted to say thank you for all of the support and the love i received a lot of great feedback from friends and strangers on social media just saying how my podcast and the interviews that i've done have touched them inspired them to go after what they want that was just the main purpose of my podcast just to give it real and raw and give people an opportunity to tell their stories and hopefully inspire someone else so thank you so much For all the people who have listened, whether it was five people one day and maybe a hundred the next day, I mean, I really don't care about the numbers. I just care about the content and the message. Thank you all for the support. This definitely won't be the last of me. Peace out.